Well, I want to say g'day to everyone and add to Dave and Laura's welcome. And uh, uh, if you're normally sitting here in Allgate uh, on a Sunday morning, or if you're normally sitting in the gym at uh, Verdun uh, at this time on a Sunday morning, I want to say welcome to you. If you're normally part of another church and your church is not meeting this morning, so you've tuned in to this one, um, or maybe if you're not normally part of a church at all and you're sitting at home on a Sunday morning, you've chosen to choose it, tune in to the Facebook stream. Uh, really want to welcome you. want to say thank you for uh, joining us. Whatever the case that's led you to be here, I really hope and pray that the next 25 minutes is going to be uh, very significant, very meaningful for you. I do want to thank our, uh, our tech team and our worship team. And I want to thank everyone who's played a part in the last week in making this happen. It hasn't just happened. Some people have put in a lot of effort and time and done an amazing job. So thank you to everyone. Um, I also want to kind of acknowledge this is sort of a strange thing for me. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, I've often had this recurring dream, this is true, that uh, I'll get up to preach on a Sunday morning, one Sunday, and I'll look around and there'll be like 10 people in the room. And, and no one came to church. Um, this is my dream, coming, my nightmare coming true. But, but it's not a nightmare because I know that, uh, that our church is still gathered. Uh, not in the same way. We, we can't meet together as we would love to, uh, but we're still gathered. And um, I also know that in this time, uh, as a church, as a community, uh, more than ever, we need to stay connected to one another. We need to keep looking out for one another. We've got people um, who we've uh, been speaking to, we've spoken to everyone in our church this week. We've called every single person and we've tried to. Um, we've found that a lot of people already are affected in significant ways, particularly at the moment financially. And as we look across the world, we see that there's many people who are grieving and are struggling and uh, the impact of this is huge. So um, let's keep looking out for each other and let's do that as a church. But this morning, let's get into this message. Um, I want to pray really briefly and then we'll, we'll get into the message proper. Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to thank you that even though we are not physically gathered together, we are still together and we are still united and we are still your people. And we want to pray now that you would speak through your word, uh, by your spirit, and that it would be for your glory and it would be uh, something that is for our blessing too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll share with you a story about, uh, about two women. Uh, a, young, uh, a young woman who had just finished school. She's just about to start university. And she meets in a cafe with a much older lady. Uh, a lady who is uh, more towards the other end of her life. And she's meet, they're meeting because the younger woman is seeking to be mentored by the older woman. The older woman says, the first thing I want you to do is I'm going to ask you if you would um, just, just answer some questions to, so that I can get a sense if you've got a, a broad sense of what your life uh, looks like or what, you're, what, what you want your life to look like. She says, tell me, what are, you, what are you hoping for the next few years? She said, well, I'm just, just enrolled in university. I'm, I'm hoping to study and complete my uni course. The old lady nods and then she says, and then what? The young lady says, well, I guess then I hope to, to get a career and get established in that and, and get a job and, and start to make a difference in that way. The old lady nods and then she says, and then what? And she says, well, well after that, um, 
you know, I, I guess perhaps I'd love to, to get married if I'm able to, or to have a family, that, that sort of thing. She says, okay, and then what? She says, well, I guess at the end of it all, perhaps I'll retire and, and, and settle down and, 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 you know, just kind of enjoy traveling and that kind of thing. And, and the old lady says, and then what? She says, well, I guess I hope I would maybe have a nice comfortable old age and, I don't know, be in a village or something and be, be happy though and safe and comfortable. And the old lady says, yes, yes, but, but, and then what? And then what? And at that, the, the young lady became very silent because she didn't have an answer to that question. And then what? And this morning I'm talking on the topic, finding wisdom for finding meaning. And really what I want to suggest, and I'll put this right up the front, is that I believe that if we, if you don't have an answer to that final question, and then what, then actually you don't have meaning or the fullness of meaning in the rest of your life. And in fact, in answering that last question is the place where meaning for all of life and all the other answers therefore find their place. And then what? That very last one. Um, over the last few weeks as a, as a church, we've been doing a series on uh, wisdom. And we've been looking at a, a couple of books from the Bible, which are called Wisdom Literature. They're in the Old Testament. They're a little bit tucked away. Some of them are popular books. Some of them are not read very often at all. But we chose this series quite a while ago. And then the whole coronavirus thing came along. And it's just seemed incredibly uh, pertinent timing that we're preaching about wisdom at the same time as we're dealing with big questions of life and facing great uncertainty. So that's the topic this morning, wisdom for finding meaning. Uh, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato uh, defined a human as a being in search of meaning. And humans have something built into us that recognises there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more and we, there's something in us that actually inevitably searches and asks for those bigger questions. It's something unique to humanity. Uh, I've got a little dog at home, a, a black labradoodle named Harry. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure Harry doesn't ask existential questions about the meaning of life. Uh, he is quite satisfied if he gets uh, a solid, some solid food for the day, uh, has a comfy bed at night and gets taken on a walk. Uh, he is happy. Uh, that's it. Now, I also like those things. Uh, let me be honest, a solid meal, somewhere comfy to sleep, uh, going for a walk. They, they are good things, but I also ask deeper questions. Uh, there's something in me drawn to that. Um, but it's also true, I think, that um, a lot of the time uh, humans fill their lives with a lot of things so that they don't have to ask those questions. We, um, we, we put a lot of stuff in our life and maybe we do a fair bit to avoid questions about our frailty and our mortality and about what happens beyond this life and about what the deepest real meaning of this life is. And that kind of brings us to today's message, which is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, to give you a bit of context into this, uh, Ecclesiastes is a book that was uh, written by, uh, tra traditionally understood to have been written by King Solomon. And King Solomon was the son of King David, and he was the king of, of Israel. And um, king, uh, king Solomon wrote three wisdom literature books. The first one was a book called Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. And this is a book that it's understood he was, that was written 
uh, very positive about life and he writes this beautiful kind of poetic love letter. And then he wrote another book called Proverbs. And he wrote Proverbs in his middle age when he was in his prime. Everything's going great. And he writes this book called Proverbs, which is little pithy statements of wisdom for living and for how to be successful and how to live a good life. But then we get to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes uh, is a book that's understood to have been written in his old age. Solomon is an old man and he's looking back upon the whole span of his life and he's asking the questions, what was really important? What really mattered? And where is meaning found in life? And this is how he starts off writing the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I've been asked a question here. My phone. No, I don't have my phone unless it's my iPad. Sorry, we'll carry on with the message. <laughs> might, might start that again. Here we go. Um, the words of the teacher, son of... ...thing is meaningless. What do people gain for all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back those ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel, Jerusalem, and I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There's the passage. Heavy stuff. Now, I'll say this up, th up front. There is hope coming in this message, so stay with me. Because um, it's probably just about the most hopeless thing, that sounding thing that you've ever heard. And I've got to say, I, through my childhood, I grew up in church, going to Sunday school, going to youth group. I'd never come across Ecclesiastes. And then I remember, I distinctly remember hearing someone get up in church and read this passage at the start of a sermon. And I thought to myself, that is the most negative, pessimistic just down thing I've ever heard. I can't believe it's in the Bible. I can't believe someone's preaching from it. Why on earth would you do that? Well, here I am doing that today. <laughs> Let me explain to you why I think this is so important. I think the reason why we got to hear this this morning is because actually we can't really see the light of 
the dawn unless we uh, acknowledge the darkness. Unless we see reality and we actually see the darkness, we're not going to see the dawn. And I think we've just got to be really upfront in this time of uncertainty, in the time of uh, awareness of our mortality, about the reality of life under the sun, which is if we take God out of the picture and we say just under the sun, the material things of this, this life, the things we can see and touch and nothing else, is there meaning in that? And the answer this passage would suggest is no, there's not. If you remove God from the picture, actually, ultimately, we miss real meaning. First point I want to make this morning is to say this, life is fleeting. Life is fleeting. Verse 4 says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And there's a point where we've got to face up to the reality that we come into this world that existed long before we came along. We live for a little while. And then the reality is we die. And life continues and a new generation comes. The passage of time, the rhythms of life, the cycles of life that this passage speak about will continue long after we have passed away. A new generation will come and the world will remember us no more. So what does that mean? What is the point of that? Where does, what is the point of life in the midst of that? Well, I think it helps us understand a whole lot of stuff. Because I believe so much of our life is driven by this desire that we have to become something, to gain something, to prove something. And so much of our life is spent worrying about stuff that in the end we've got to ask ourselves, does it really matter? I mean, we spend our life thinking, what does this person think about me? What, is, what does this person think about how I look or how I'm dressed or, or what I've achieved or, or all this sort of stuff? We go on Facebook and we curate our brand, our image. Uh, do we need evidence of this? The evidence is a selfie stick. That is the evidence of really how we go about this. The evidence is, is answered in this question. When you see a photo that you are in, a group photo that you are in, who is the first person that you look at? Yourself. Every time we look at ourselves, and what are we asking ourselves? How do I look in this picture? We go, oh, oh no, that's a terrible photo of me. Oh, shock, horror, other people are going to see this. Or we think, oh, actually not, not too bad. I'm okay with that one. But it's not really based on what we think. It's really based on how we think others are going to see us. We worry so much about so many things. But generations will come and generations will go. And in a generation or two's time, we will not be remembered. There's something very powerful in thinking about that. I remember a few years ago, I uh, went on a silent prayer retreat up to Seven Hill in the Clare Valley, which is actually where I was born and raised. And, uh, and I did five days of prayer um, silent prayer retreat i was not meant to talk for five days i did actually catch up with a mate for a coffee every day and have a chat but that's another story um but most of the time i was silent and during one of those days i had a lot of time on my hands i went for a walk and i came across the cemetery that was near uh near the church in in seven hill and i started wandering through uh amongst the gravestones and the graves there and I started looking at the names and the dates and seeing all these names of all these people, born 1873, uh, died 1935, 
Born 1901, died 1967, whatever it was. All these people, all these names and had lived their life and I thought, started thinking about all the things I was worrying about, all the things that I get caught up about. I thought, what did these people worry about? What did they achieve? What did they do in their life? What did they spend their life striving for? In the end you go, if we do not have a perspective beyond the grave, what is the meaning of life? That's the first thing I want to say. Life is fleeting. The second thing I want to say is this. Um, the things we strive for do not satisfy. Let's, let's have a look at what Solomon set out to do. I'm going to read actually from verse 4 of chapter 2. He says this. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and uh, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I de denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I want to say this to you as you sit at home this morning and tune into this sermon. If you are successful in life, Solomon was more successful than you. If you have been fortunate enough to amass wealth and significant wealth in your life, I can tell you that Solomon amassed more. If you have achieved a position of honor and respect in your life, I can tell you Solomon rose higher. And if you are in a position where you're living at the moment with comfort and pleasure in your life and reaping the benefits of hard work and able to indulge in various luxuries and leisure and part-time, I can tell you that Solomon enjoyed greater pleasures than you are. But at the end of his life, when he reflected on all that he had strived for and all that he had worked for, he looked back and realized this. In the end, it was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. This is the phrase that comes right throughout the book, chasing after the wind. If you chase after the wind, you can just kind of imagine that. You're running, you're trying to grab at something, it's hard work. You're, you're just putting all this effort in trying to get hold of something, thinking that you're going to possibly grab it and it's going to give you substance and meaning. But in the end, you never actually catch it and you realize you're empty-handed. We all know as Australians, uh, a bloke who died a few years ago called Kerry Packer. He was the richest Australian uh, at the time that he died, the richest Australian. You know, one of his closest friends described him late in life as the unhappiest person he had ever met. He amassed great wealth. He achieved great things. He became a household name. And at the end of his life, one of his closest friends described him as the unhappiest person he'd ever met. How much of your life is chasing after the wind? You know, something that this time in our life is doing, uh, this time of having a lot of things stripped away and, and, and 
kind of busyness stripped away and, and spending more time at home, one of the things I think that God is going to do through this time is help us ask the question, what's really important? What's really valuable? And I think it's so important that you ask that question. How am I spending my time? What am I doing with my life? What really matters? Having said that, the question remains, where do we find ultimate and lasting meaning for life? And to get that, we've got to go right to the very last chapter, the last couple of verses of this book. And I'm going to jump there because without it, this sermon will have to 12, verse 13 and 14. Right at the back of the book. Let me read that to you. It says this. Solomon concludes, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. And here it is, very simply. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it be good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, let me firstly say this about that verse. Fearing God is not about being scared of God. That's a different kind of fear that we're talking about. But fearing God is about knowing that God is the creator, that he is all powerful, and that we are his creation, and that we need his forgiveness and we need his mercy. And that our life is not about uh, finding our own way or even finding, uh, allowing God a place in our life. Our life is, meaning is found when we find our place in God's world. And fearing God is about respecting that there is a God who is above and he is the creator of all things. And true meaning comes in knowing him. And obeying his, his commandments is not about following an arbitrary set of rules. It's about entering a relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth and has set forth a plan for how we can live life with meaning and with purpose. You know, I shared at the start of this message the question, and then what? You grow old and you come to the end of your life, and then what? And I said it then and I'll say it now. You need an end, an and then what for your life. And the and then what is the revelation that God is and that God loves you and that God has made a way for you to be saved and to know the blessing and the gift of eternal life. For us as Christians, we have meaning and hope in this life because we have hope beyond the grave. Not just a vague, idealistic kind of hope that's kind of this sort of imaginary dream thing that we've made up, but hope that is solid and secure because of the resurrection of Jesus. That is the evidence and proof upon which we build our hope. Because Jesus not only lived and showed us how we should live, but he died and then was raised to life. And our hope is found in his promise that through faith in him, we will not die but have eternal life. And when we hold on to that hope and when we know that hope, it then feeds back through all of life and every single part of our life, even each and every day in the small detail of life, is then filled with meaning because we have meaning through knowing a God who is our loving Father and Jesus who is our Saviour and His, uh, His plan and purpose for us gives us the meaning in life. And you need to have that hope this morning. You need to have that hope. Hebrews 6 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, 
firm and secure. As you go into this next few weeks and months of life, living a very different way, things are going to change very much. Don't be like a boat in a storm that has lost its anchor and is now tossed and turned and risks being dashed on the rocks. Have your hope in Jesus Christ as a solid anchor, firm and secure. This security, this security gives life hope and purpose and meaning. Don't be like a runner who, who sets out and lives your life and you're, you know you've got to run a race but you don't know where the finish line so you run and you chase and you're, you're expending energy in the hope that, that hopefully somewhere you're going to hit the finish line and it'll all be okay. No. Tune into God and His Word and let Him show you that where the finish line is and what is beyond it, the, the reward that comes to us as a promise made by God that we will be with him eternally. This is where meaning comes from. Do you know hope this morning? Do you know hope this morning? If you know the hope of the gospel this morning, then my encouragement to you out of this message is this. Hold on to that hope. Let it be your solid, secure anchor in the times of uncertainty. But I also want to say this. If you do not know this hope, if something stirs in you this morning because you, you're hearing this message and you say, I don't have an answer to that question and then what? You can make one up, you can think of it, you can kind of have a vague hope. But if you don't have a solid and sure answer to that question, I want to let you know that God loves you so much that he has made a way for you to know that hope. That hope is not found in proving yourself to be a good person, in achieving things in life or, or showing yourself to be kind of um, uh, doing great deeds or anything. It is found through placing your faith in Jesus who stands at the door of your life and knocks and says, I want to come in and I want to give you hope and I want to give you purpose and I want to give you meaning. And this morning, it would be the greatest blessing of my life if I knew that one person was being stirred right now to just say, I need that hope and I want that hope. And if that is you, you know, it's as simple as reaching out in a prayer and then reaching out to someone who can help you on that journey. So I want to pray right now as we finish this message. I want to pray firstly for those of you who know the hope and then I want to pray for those of you who want to know that hope. So let's pray. I'll pray first for those who know the hope, then those who want to know the hope, and then we'll finish this message. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in our church community. I want to pray for everyone else who's tuned into this message who knows that sure and certain hope of the gospel. And I pray that in this season, in the days and weeks ahead, that they would know that their anchor is firm and secure, that it's not going to pull, they're not going to be tossed around and they're not going to be uh, dashed against the rocks, that whatever happens, you hold us. You hold us, Lord, and thank you for that. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who hears this message who's like, in all honesty, I do not know the hope that is being spoken of. Lord, I want, to pray, uh, I want to pray a prayer for you if that's you. And I want to pray that you join in with me, this prayer. You can just repeat it with me, just say it in your heart. Dear God, I know that I have chased after things that are fleeting. But today I want to know your hope. Today I want to turn to you. 
Today, I want to put my trust in you, God. Today, I want to open my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to earth and lived and died and rose again. And I ask that you would come into my heart and give me new life. And I pray that you would help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.